Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you had a wonderful weekend on this Thanksgiving week. Actually, Thanksgiving season. Wait a minute. It's a Thanksgiving year. That might sound weird or strange to say that in a year such as 2020, but isn't that something the Bible encourages us to do? Give thanks in all circumstances. It's going to be one of our challenges today as we get into this topic of what the heck is normal. Um, But I want to read Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5, before we open in prayer and introduce our guest. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his faithfulness is to all generations. Well, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And may we be a people of thanks for what Jesus has done for us. It's already been done. The work has been completed. Those words, it is finished, really resonate with us who many times strive to do something in our own power, in our own strength. Well, we know that we are saved by grace, through faith, by Christ alone. And we thank you for the promise of salvation. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that you give us, including those of us who live in one of the most blessed nations still in the world at a time, yes, when there are challenges, division, and turmoil, but we are so blessed because we are free. And Lord, help us, God, to not just let our freedoms um, be trampled upon. Help us to use them while we still have them, but help us to use them for the gospel and the advancement of Jesus Christ and your kingdom. And show us how to do that one day at a time. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and over all things you are in control. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we're going to evaluate how the Christian church in America is doing as so many people are dealing with anxiety, uh, fear, or feeling overwhelmed due to the high levels of stress this year has brought. We need some encouragement today. But we also need to be challenged in our faith. We don't want to check out, friends. Uh, More of us are coming to terms with the fact that we may never get back to normal again, whatever the heck normal is and was. (laughs) So how should we respond to this, and how can we be better at understanding the times? Today's guest, Pastor Eric Jackson, is back with us, author of the book, Feral Christian. He's been with us several times, currently lead pastor of Foundation Church in Manaqua, Wisconsin. Eric, welcome back, brother. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that great opening. I think this idea of being thankful, I don't think we give that enough weight in Christianity. The Bible speaks so much to it, and I know with Leslie and I, you know, we've been through some, some difficult times, and we hold very fast to the idea of if you can stand in the most painful area of your life and declare that God is good, mm-hmm. um, you're a dangerous Christian. Um, and so that's that's really something we try to stay focused mm-hmm. on is um, go to the most painful place, stand in the middle of it, declare God is good over that, and watch what happens in your life because it'll change everything. Amen, brother. And the truth is, he is good. Amen. He is good. And even in the hard times, uh, we are spoiled here in America, aren't we? Yeah. We have been given so much, and we're going to talk about the church today. But, um, Eric, you said something that in an email response to me over the weekend about what we're going to discuss today, and I just want to share this quote with you guys. It's going to bless you. Here's what Eric Jackson said. My heart is definitely to encourage Christians to not hope for things to get back to normal, but rather evaluate what we think normal should have been for a long time. I believe this is all happening for us, not to us. 
There is a refinement going on in the body of Christ that is painful, but it is going to produce holiness. That, my friend, is exactly where we need to go. Sanctification. Isn't that God's will for us, it says in 1 Thessalonians? Sanctification, to be set apart, the pursuit of holiness, not perfection, because God will continue to work what he's began in us. But I want you to just expand your point here on so many wonderful thoughts in this quote. First of all, what is normal and what was normal? Well, and I think for all of us, it, normal was different. But I think the, <laughs> the idea that, um, you know, to me, the thing that I fought for a long time and um, the people who know me know how, how frustrated I get is just with the notion of, of good, good enough. Um, the notion of what we have is good enough. Um, we like it. Uh, we've got kind of a tradition and a culture built around what we've done. And to go any further than this is going to require a lot of work from us. It's going to require um, us having to change things. We don't really want to do that. So we're just going to stick here. And uh, I think for everybody that normal looks different. But I think the way that the Bible tells us, as long as we're on earth, we got to be pushing for more. We got to be pushing for more in our faith. We got to be pushing for more in our relationship with God in our ministries um, to unsaved people, unsaved groups. We have to be, you know, uh, the business world is is really loving using the word hungry, mm. and it's we got to stay hungry. and And I don't think we stayed hungry as the body of Christ, at oh. least not in this country. Um, and and that has really had a major impact on us because um, as I was talking to you, I was, uh, I was watching the, the Packers blow a huge lead yesterday um, <laughs> after watching the Badgers play terrible. So I, I had that on my mind and I was thinking about this idea of how I despise the prevent defense. I despise it um, because it just, it never works. It never works. And it gets your players to think in terms of backing up because that's what you do. And also when you play a prevent defense, you put players on the field who aren't necessarily great explosive players. You put the players on the field who are not going to make the big mistakes, who are going to kind of do what they're told, and you pull out those players who are big explosive players but might make a mistake hmm. um, because you're trying to protect this lead that you've built, and you get okay. into that mindset and you're constantly backing up. And what always happens is the team catches up because that's what always happens when you play this kind of defense where you say, hey, we'll just give you 15 yards, no problem, at a pop. And, and now you've got to deal with, we've told our players to just be backing up, backing up, backing up. And that does something to your psyche. It gets you into this mindset of just, oh, I got to protect. I got to make sure that I'm not giving up a big play or making a mistake. And it's hard to switch that back hmm. when you need it. And I think that's the, the season we're in right now where suddenly our big lead is gone as the church. We don't have this big thing to protect anymore because we've just been backing up and backing up because we, we're, we're operating in this fear of losing what we have. Mm, and that's not wow. a strong position to play from. Um, and even they say that with like offensive linemen. If you're, you have to run the ball, not to gain yardage, but because it's good for the psyche of your offensive linemen. Because if you're pass protecting, you're backing up because you're protecting mm -hmm. and you don't want someone to get around you. And you can do that for a while, but eventually as an offensive lineman, you just lose confidence because you're just backing up. So you got to do a run play because now it's your time. You go push somebody, you go make the move, you make something happen, be aggressive. And it's good for the heart of those linemen. So what I hear you saying is as a church, generally Christians in America, we have stopped driving forward, progressing. Uh, what, what is the word you say? Did you say ag aggressive? Or? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, you can say passionate. You can say just, you know, moving ahead instead of backing up and defending. And boy, I think of um, when Jesus said, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church wasn't supposed to be playing defense. That's the idea I get from that is the church is supposed to be attacking Yes. The gates of hell. Yep. Well, what does that mean? Well, preaching the gospel. Satan hates the truth of God that can save the souls of men. He hates that message. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So am I hearing you correctly that in your, in your you know, understanding of what the church has been doing in the last, let's just say, 50 years, we had something good, uh, something maybe at one time very productive, but 
it became comfortable, it became status quo, and it became normal. And then we just started relaxing a little bit. Is that what I'm... Oh, absolutely. And I think what what happens is uh, mentally there's there's a switch that goes off where you say, okay, w- that we did enough. You know, it, with a football game, it's, well, we got a 21-point lead in the third quarter, and there's there's a, a flip. that Okay, now we protect. And as soon as that happens, everything starts to change, uh, and, and you start to switch what players you have on the field. Like, that's what I'm passionate about, and that's what even, you know, the book, Feral Christian, it's, it's this love letter to the people who... I feel like have been pulled off the field because Mm. they want to go make a play. And the church, at least as long as I've been alive, has been in this prevent mode of we don't necessarily want playmakers. We just want people who aren't going to make the big mistake. And so those are the kind of people that we're constantly getting out on the field. Um, And I think that that has hurt us, at least, like I said, in my lifetime, that has felt like we're just constantly backing up Mm. and we're constantly afraid of losing what we have. And that is not the mindset that we've been called to live no. with. Nor is that the mindset we see in the apostles and the disciples in the early church who would boldly stand against... I think of uh, Peter and John and, and the apostles that say, we must obey God rather than men. They were not backing up. <laughs> yeah, well, and I would even say, if you are at the point where you are no longer willing to put it all on the line to go possess land that God's calling you to possess, you've already lost everything. That's mm. what I would say, is there's nothing left to lose at that point. Well, that goes back to the Old Testament. I think of uh, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones, when they went to spy out the land, they saw it. Yes, they saw the you know giants in the land, right? But they came back and it said, it's a good land, I'm paraphrasing, plus God promised that that's ours. We're supposed to go into this land. And there was talk of stoning these two guys yep. for saying, wait a minute, this is a, this is a real possibility. All we have to do is go and possess the land. We, and Caleb, I think, uh, I wish we had that spirit of Caleb in today's church. He said, certainly we can do this. Yes. Not because of our strength, but because of God and his promises. Yes, and that's exactly the mindset. That's, that's what I believe the church is set up right now to get back to. And that's the word I keep using even with my church is we're being set up. Like it might look like this is, there's so much darkness, but I, I really believe God is, is, is moving things in the background because we are being set up to switch our mindset. And because that's exactly it, Joshua and Caleb had an offensive mindset. God promised mm-hmm. we're here. Yep. Let's go do it. Let's make a play. Let's Amen. go make something happen um, because God promised it and because we're in line with what his word says. The rest of the Israelites were in a scared, hey, we're going to lose what we have. We're going to lose our lives. We're going to lose this. And so you see the shift in those two mindsets. You also see which mindset God approved of. He did not honor this scared, defensive, well, let's just make sure we don't lose too much mindset. He honors the people that say, God, you're calling me to go take that land? Then I'm going. Let's go do it. And um, I, to me, at least, that's where I see this going. And that's where I want to encourage people is um, this, uh, God is not scared of the darkness we see before us. He's <laughs> not concerned other nope. than are we going to hear what he has to say and are we going to obey and switch how we're thinking, because mm. I do believe we are set up right now to to be offensive again and to actually go out there and start to do some amazing things. I agree. We have a window of opportunity. Um, it's kind of sad that I don't think generally we as a church in America passed the COVID test, and I think we feared the unknown. We feared a virus, um, and then when it came to governors. Uh, orders in certain states, I think we feared man. Um, whether there, those orders were unconstitutional or not, because these weren't legislated. You know, these were just a governor saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you've got to do this. And he put limits on the church, which is, in America, that's a big no-no. If you know, understand our rights and the religious freedom that we have, our constitution, we live by this law of the land, the constitution. So um, I don't think we passed that test. But I want to go back to this idea of normal that you said. Um, is normal good enough? 
because you used those words earlier, good enough. And I think, wow, um, I hope that the church never thinks like that ever again, if that was the case. And it's not unusual. You think of the letters in Revelation that Jesus sent to the uh, seven churches. Five of those churches were rebukes. Um, it was, was it good enough? But normal means a conforming to a type standard or regular pattern characterized by that which is considered usual, typical, or routine. Let's stop right there, and I think that goes right along with what you said, how the church has been going uh, routine, usual, the typical church service, the typical American church idea of being a building, which the church is not a building, and then we have to protect that because we got comfortable. Your thoughts on normal? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I read that definition, I, I've been using terminology um, of, of this idea of the machine. Um, we we as, as humans like to build machines or systems, if you want to put it that way, where there's a system that works and, and we set it up, whether it's through agriculture or whatever, we industrialize things. So we take something that at one point was natural and it might not be perfect. There might be a little sloppiness, but it is natural and, and there are some built-in advantages to letting things, whether it's through farming or whatever, not be industrialized. Um, we don't like that. We want to industrialize things because when you industrialize something, you can grow exponentially and be in control of it. Um, you know, with farming, if you keep it in more of a natural way, one farmer can only have so big of a farm and then there's got to be more. Um, we don't like that. We like to be involved. We like to be able to head up massive things. And the only way you can do that is through industrialization. So now you have to set up systems or machines and people now become cogs in those machines. Hmm. And the problem is once you set up a machine, usually you just need to keep that machine going. Machines don't usually get tweaked unless you kind of tear the whole thing down and rebuild it. We don't want to do that. And so it's now it's about maintaining the machine mm. that we built, maintaining the system. Wow. I just got a picture when you said that, a frightening picture of the church in America being a machine that we've kind of not, I'm generalizing, not all churches, not all pastors, we've kind of been trying to maintain. And that's, that's a frightening thought when you think of the New Testament and the early church and our mission and the gospel, maintaining what? Wow. Maintaining the machine. And that's, that's what's scary is I think it, it's funny because I did, I did a podcast talking about individuality in the church because I think we have to grow big time when we talk about what individuality looks like in the church. When you look at nature, when you look at something that is natural, and I'll, when I say natural, I mean God made. God, God's mm -hmm. the one that made this. There is differences in everything. Even, even if you look at um, a, a crop of corn that is very natural, you are going to see variations in everything. And that's the way God designed it. Um, when we design something, we design it to be uniform. That's, that's actually how you know something is man-made, is if there's uniformity. Because hmm. God, that's not how God makes things. And so I, I, my listeners, I challenge them to say, anything that you view as church or godly, I'm going to ask you, how uniform is it? Because if it's very uniform, then God probably didn't do that. Wow. Let, let, let me think about that for a couple of seconds. Let, me, let that sink in. If it's very uniform, then God probably didn't ordain that or create that. Yeah, that's you don't see that anywhere else in God's creation, perfect uniformity. In fact, that's why if you're out in the woods and you see something that is perfectly uniform, your mind immediately can see it and pick it out because it stands out so much in nature because nothing else works that way that God created. There's wow. variations, there's differences. And I think the church, once we can accept that and allow that mm. inside the church um, and not try to industrialize ourselves, that's when we're going to see God really take over because we're no longer trying to manipulate things for our own uses. Amen, brother. I think excellent points so far, and we've got a little bit more to go. We're with Pastor Eric Jackson 
If you haven't picked up his book, it's called Feral Christian, F-E-R-A-L. And we'll put that link in today's podcast notes. When we come back, what do we mean by normal? How should we as Christians respond? Um, How can we be better at understanding the times right now? And where does the church go from here? A lot more coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Eric Jackson. He's a pastor in a church in Wisconsin, a lead pastor of Foundation Church, and a book, Feral Christian, which we've uh, talked about it a couple times on this podcast before, and I just wanted to have him and get his perspective on um, what's happening in the church and what he sees from a youth perspective. We're talking about normal and why we have to really kind of give up the idea that we will ever go back to normal. Um, There is something that I shared with you before we got on air, and this was a um, newsletter from Pastor John MacArthur, and I wanted to get your take on this. Um, He does say that God's people are actually hungry for the truth of his word and the stability that the word of God brings. This year we've seen increased fears about the future, a growing distrust of politicians, the media. People are looking for answers, and here's what MacArthur said. Particularly among young people, there's a sense of desperation and existential emptiness these days. For years, they've been taught, young people, their truth is the only truth that matters, but that lie doesn't sell in the soul. Confronted with the empty pursuit of a pleasure of pleasure and the hopelessness of a self-styled reality that offers no answers. Many have turned to nihilism, accepting, I'm sorry, attempting to tear down and destroy the social structures they blame for their lack of meaning and fulfillment. Tragically, others choose to take their own lives. And this is a lost generation. And as he said, people are starving for truth. Uh, Eric, the church has to respond in this moment, in this cultural moment, in this historical time in America, when so much is coming against us, not just as Christians, but just living in this country. There's a lot at stake, and we have sold our young people that they can have their truth and have a sense of fulfillment, but that doesn't last too long when they make themselves gods and there is no truth like Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. This is what he's talking about, and it ends up to be very empty. And I like the way he said, uh, a sense of desperation and existential emptiness, and that ends in depression, anxiety. Some have attempted suicide. Your thoughts, I mean, there's a lot of points in here. Just take whatever you want to touch on and uh, just give us your thoughts. Yeah, and I think it goes exactly with what we were just talking about, this, this idea of, of everything being a machine. Um, I think that our young people are feeling the real strain of that, and that's where I use the word disillusionment, numbness. Um, what happens is, is we have told our young people, and I think you know I, I might be a little older, but probably people a little younger than me, this is right where they're at. We have been told that you find fulfillment when you find your place in the machine. That's what we've been told is find a place where you can be just the right cog and we'll let you have your own truth. And that's why we sell. Yeah, go ahead, have your own truth as long as it keeps you in the machine because that's where you're going to get all of your fulfillment. And obviously that's a lie. You don't find fulfillment by being a cog in a machine. Mm-hmm. And whether it's in the business world, whether it's in relationships, they're constantly finding absolutely no fulfillment. And this mm-hmm. is why it is essential that the church not operate that way. Mm-hmm. Because if the church is just another machine that tells people you're going to find peace and fulfillment by just finding your place as a cog in this machine— those people are going to find the same emptiness in the church. And that's why it's so important to reject this idea of industrialization in the church because people don't find fulfillment 
by just being a cog. It, it doesn't happen that way. And that's not what the Bible pushes mm. forward is there is variations and there's, there's a, a special anointing on each person and there's a special calling in a way that they're called to live and, and a passion that they've been given and a grace that they've been given. Um, and it's much more beautiful and much bigger than simply being a cog in a machine. And that's where, uh, to me, we this is a desperate uh, generation mm-hmm. that is desperate for, let me find a place where I can be the best version of me, the version of me that God had in mind when he made me, that, that isn't just trying to shove me into a machine, but is, is really trying to stir me up and encourage me to become this beautiful, varied person with an identity, an anointing, and a calling that has been specific for me. And if the church can do that, I believe we're going to see young people not just pour into the building because that's not the focus, but we're going to see young people find something that they never had before Mm. who are going to be passionate and healthy and have a glow about them that they've never had. And ultimately, that's what we should desire, not just to have big churches, but to have people who are on fire and passionate. Amen. And it comes back to the Holy Spirit. It comes back to truth of Jesus Christ. And he is, it is exclusive. The gospel is just fascinating that it is both exclusive and inclusive because it says whosoever will. And so anyone can come to know Jesus. Anyone can receive Jesus and be saved, but it's very exclusive because it teaches us that there is only one way. If you want to live forever with our father in heaven, in eternity, one path, not many paths that lead to the same place, right? Because there are many roads to destruction. One path. Getting back to something you said, the industrialization of the church. I like that word. I don't like the the the, the fact that it's happened in America, but I like that you put it that way because I want you to pick up on that. I'm thinking outside the church in America. If you go back a hundred years when the Industrial Revolution started taking place and businesses started booming, industry, massive, the economy started doing all these different things. The Industrial Revolution was a good thing for the growth and prosperity of America, but not necessarily the church and not necessarily a pattern that Christianity or the church should have picked up because what happened? We got maybe rich prosperous, affluent, comfortable, and then we wanted more. We saw, wow, we're producing all this wealth. We can get more. We can have a bigger house. We'll just have a mortgage. We'll just have nobody had debt early, you know, many years ago. But then we started thinking, well, if I just take out this loan, bigger house, nicer. Women started going to work. Children started going to nannies. All so many different things. And it's nothing wrong with a woman working. But we're just talking about the importance of the church and the family as just a healthy foundation of a healthy society. And these things, because of the industrial revolution, the growth and prosperity, um, it affected us big time and it affected the church. And we're not even talking about the mega church here necessarily, but that's part of this. So more thought, continue to pick up your thoughts on just the, how do we come back from this industrialization of the church where and pastors are CEOs and whatever. Yeah, I think it all comes down to we need to evaluate wh- how we define success. And I've been a big proponent of this for a while is that as Christians, we do a terrible job of defining what success is. Mm. We do an awful job because if you look <laughs> at any country who has made a big shift into industrializing things, It's always at the promise of this is going to be better for the average person. But what always ends up happening is the average person, um, even if maybe their average income goes up, the average happiness, contentment, at least 20 years down the line, just goes plummets Mm. where where people are unhappy. um, And a lot of the benefits tend to go to the people at the top who promised this was for everybody else. Yeah, and, interesting. And we see Ooh. this happen over and over Oof. again. And and this has happened very much in the church. And that's where you got to, 
you can look at countries and there's countries who have different definitions of success. A lot of countries, it's uh, we just want the biggest uh, GOP possible. So it's all industrialization. It might not be the best for our people. Their happiness might go down. We might be burning them out, but our country is going to be more powerful. So that's what we do because that's success is, is this power, this wealth. Hmm. Um, but there are other countries who say, no, we want our people to be content. We want them to enjoy their lives. We want there to be an overall fulfillment. And so those countries do not go after industrialization nearly as hard. And they might not be as wealthy at the top, but those are the countries where you can't even get in because so many people are trying to move there because mm. they have defined success differently. And I think as the church, especially right now where you know we've just kind of gotten punched in the mouth and that's just what it is, we need to st- take a step back and say, what is success? And like you said, not just for the mega church, mm-hmm. but for the average yep. church, what is success? How, how are you going to define that you are doing a good job as a church? I want to get back to the idea of machine. You use this word a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so to the smaller churches, let's just set mega churches aside. Mm-hmm. There are some, I mean, the one in New Mexico, we interviewed the pastor, Steve Smotherman, solid man of God. I don't know how he has a mega church because he's a straight shooter, and he tells it like it is. He's one of the pastors, by the way, that said— um, uh, on the issue of life, he says, um, if you can kill a baby, you're capable of just about anything. Right. <laughs> he's talking about abortion right, right. and that Democrat platform at the time. That's what he's talking about. And he's got a me- New Mexico, one of the bluest states in the country. How he has a megachurch, I have no idea. So we're not putting all megachurches into one category here. So let's go to the smaller churches in America, the idea of machine. Are we still operating by some of these principles and programs that is really more like American Christianity, what we have developed, rather than biblical Christianity and what we see in Acts and the New Testament. Absolutely. Well, and I'll, even before I get into that, I'll say I absolutely believe that megachurches are needed. I, I think that in— and Especially in, in big cities. Yes. And, well, and I think that just even going back to variations, I think a healthy church is going to have— completely I have good solid home churches and good solid mega churches and all in between um, I think that that's that's where where things are probably the most healthy is where there's the most variation of different types but everyone is is on the same page but I would agree smaller churches medium churches it's it's especially in this country it is so hard to not adopt this mindset because it is built into absolutely everything we do. Because as soon as you start to do something that has value and has quality, as soon as you start to do that, what's going to happen is the question is going to be, well, how do you grow this? How do you make more of this? (laughs) It's not just you're doing this great thing. Good job. You're given value. It's how do you expand your operation? And the answer always is going to be through industrialization because mm. you cannot expand in this large way without starting to manipulate things so that they're, everything's the mm. same, so that you can do everything the same way. Um, and, and, and it's just a trap. It's a yep. trap that we fall into um, because our mindset is constantly that that's what success is, bigger. You know what else I, I was thinking? Once you have a little bit of success, let's just say a small group of Christians, because that's um, the word church, ecclesia, is group or gathering of believers or an assembly. It doesn't mean building. It has nothing to do with a structure. Uh, so once you have a little bit of success, we go, wow, that worked. The human thing to do, the one, the thing we usually try to do is how do we duplicate that? Exactly. How do we come up with a formula? Hey, that worked. Let's do that again over here. And you're trying to, is yeah. the, but that's not success if from God's perspective. That's just like, okay, that worked over here. Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. Move out of the way. Now we have a formula. Right, formula. <laughs> that is my word that I cannot stand. There is no formula. Other than listening to God, that's the formula. <laughs> but I think it's what we want to do is subconsciously we're always looking to get to a place where we don't need to listen to God anymore. And I, most people won't admit it, but mm. I think deep down, we want Ooh, that. 
That we hurts. God, get me to a place where I have the formula or where I mm. know what to do so that I needed you before, but now I can be wow. independent. Now I can do it. And wow. that's the thing is, again, if you want to be able to duplicate something, you have to industrialize because when everything is the same, then if you did something one way and it worked, you know you can do it the same way again and it can work. Or you think and, you can. Well, it, but that's the, that's the idea of industrialization is you can get a formula, work the formula, wow. and just keep going. And so that is, that's the temptation. And I think one of the issues why, why we tend to lean this way, and God has been revealing this to me, is we always tend to view Jesus as a shepherd which he, he gives those parables. He, he oftentimes did say, you know, here's, here's how you should view me is as a shepherd. But in his ministry, actually more often he views himself as a gardener. He talks more about pruning and things like that. And so when you think of Jesus, and, and because we always represent him in this one way, you think of him as a shepherd where you're just protecting your flock, getting more and getting more. But even in you know, his most famous parable about being a shepherd, he's like, I'll leave the 99. I'm not, if they need, if they're going to leave, fine, because I'm going to go after the one. And oftentimes he talks about himself in terms of pruning. I'm going to prune things back. That is not something that the church does at all. We never view the, it as, hey, sometimes we got to prune back. Sometimes we got to we got to pull things out. And I think it just goes back to this idea of you're constantly trying to get more. But you look at the life of Jesus, and when there were huge crowds, that is when he's like, I'm going to make a huge challenge that's going to make people go away. Like Jesus looked at huge crowds and was never like, how do I protect this? How do I keep this? How do I grow this? He's like, you know what? I'm going to say something incredibly controversial right now just to prune this back a little bit. And I wonder if um, we miss that part of Jesus' ministry, of, of the pruning. Ooh, thank you. Um, I want to read before we take a break, Eric, John 15. I am the vine, Jesus said, and my father is the vine dresser. Or another translation, I believe it says gardener. Um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is painful. Yes. Refining is not fun. Yes. Being tested and refined and pruned, but it's necessary. And he says, when we bear fruit, he prunes us so that we can bear, we can be more fruitful. And then he reminds us that uh, if we need to remain in him, because apart from him, if we're not in the vine, we can do nothing. Yeah. And I find it just fascinating that he chose us in him. He chose us to bear fruit that will last. What is that? Eternally, the gospel, bearing fruit that will last beyond us. Um, not bearing big buildings that will crumble one day, but souls. Hey, we're with Eric Jackson today. Um, we want to uh, ask more. We're going to talk about this idea of what is normal, what is not, when we come back. And uh, I'm going to go to John 11. There's a fascinating scripture that came across my desk this morning when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Eric Jackson is with us today in studio. And I go back to this uh, newsletter from Grace to You, and I'm looking at, for the last couple decades, as the church has been overrun with seeker-sensitive growth strategies and worldly pragmatism, he's, he emphasizes the Word of God and the importance of teaching Scripture and having that, so important to have that foundation, and then applying the Scripture that we know, because it's not all about head knowledge, it's applying what we know and learn to what we're going through, and sometimes it's hardest to apply when we're going through trials in life. We're going through a hard time. A lot of us in this country, this has been one of the toughest years for many of us in many ways. It's not just COVID and the isolation or whatever that brings. It's other things. But I want to go back to why God allows it sometimes and, and uh, his sovereignty. In John chapter 11, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, about Lazarus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so this was four days, I think, after Lazarus died. Four days later, Jesus goes to visit. He heard about 
Lazarus being sick. So let's go back to the beginning of John chapter 11 when a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, and uh, Mary and Martha. Uh, Martha was the sister. Mary anointed the Lord with ointment. Um, it's interesting. They sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. He had a, Jesus loved Lazarus. They had a, a relationship, um, friendship. And Jesus said in verse 4, This sickness is not meant for death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And then in parentheses it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. But yet when he heard Lazarus is sick, he stayed for three more days, and then they traveled, I guess. So four days later, uh, Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What, what's happening in America right now with the church, with Christians, Eric, is many of us have been going through the high, some of the highest stress we've had and anxiety, and you know what to do with anxiety biblically. We know what to do. It's always not always easy to do. We've been going through hard times, and, we're, and some of us maybe have looked up to God and said, God, if you had been here, if you had helped us, we would not have been suffering these circumstances. But then we look back on, on, and his way of operating, Jesus said, this is so that I will get glory. Your thoughts on that idea of what we're going through now and that God allows it for some future end that will glorify him. Absolutely. And I, and I think one of the biggest issues in, in even that situation and with us, too, is I believe that that family, Mary and Martha, they had an idea of what they thought Jesus should do. Yeah, that's, that's a good that's expectations. The biggest, yeah, that's the biggest the idea. I mean, the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than ours. And as soon as you as a Christian go, I think that God should do this. Um, you're probably going to struggle because God very rarely does what you think mm. he should do. He does something bigger. He does something better. It's all throughout the Bible. Even in, with the Israelites, you would think, God, just get us out of here when we're escaping slavery. God's like, no, you know what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to bring the whole Egyptian army to come, and it's going to look like you're going to be wiped out, <laughs> you know, because he never does it the way you think exactly. he should. And, and I wonder how much of our pain is because we have gotten married to what we think God needs to do. God, this is how you need to show up in this situation. And God is saying, well, no, I got something way better than that coming. Mm. And that's what Jesus wow. said is, I got something better. And so, but what I love about that story too is he, he cried with her, mm -hmm. even though he knew, like, this yeah. is, I got something so good, you're not even going to believe it, but he still cares in it. And that's the oh, beauty of, of his love for us is even when we are in the wrong and we're being immature and we're throwing a, a hissy fit, even though he's got it all figured out, he, he cares and he doesn't yeah. just abandon us yep. in that moment. Well, Hebrews and other places, it says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he can relate. We have such a high priest. Yeah who understands our weaknesses. Why? Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived here. He went through it. And one more point about that story. It's interesting. If he would have done what they expected, okay, I'll drop everything right now and go to Bethany and heal Lazarus Well, he's sick you know, before he died, that would have been a, a miracle. Yeah, he healed him. He was sick. He, whatever he had, Lazarus, he, he's doing better now. Good, he's better. But what happened? He died, and they could not deny that he died because it was four days. And he was bound and in the tomb. So Jesus does a bigger miracle. Let me ask you this, Christian friends. We believe in Romans 8, 28, that God causes, for believers, not unbelievers, for believers, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He will work this out, whatever you are going through, for good. And let's not have expectations. We're learning a lot about not having expectations of how we want God to do it, or we think God should do it, especially in this year of so many things that, that, that took us out of our comfort zone, so many new things this year. Um, whatever you want to share, Eric, about the idea of expectations, the idea of, of, of wanting God to do it a certain way and what we're going through now, he wants to get glory 
what does the church have to do at this point so that we can make sure that Jesus gets the glory from this point on? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I can make it real uh, simple, but it's not easy, which is how most things is, is we got to listen. We have to hear. We, we have to, I mean, it, you talked about the seven letters to the seven churches every single time. He's like, those who have ears, mm. let them hear. Like, like he's talking. This whole time, God mm. has been talking. Yep. The question is not whether God's talking. The question is whether we have ears. So we got to hear. We got to humble ourselves because that's the thing is he's going to tell us things that we don't want to hear. I can guarantee you that. He's going to tell you something you don't want to hear. And it's going to challenge your opinions on things. It's going to challenge your traditions on things. So we got to hear even the things we don't want to hear. And then we got to obey. If we do that, this is going to become an amazing act of God. I, mm. I, I look at the story of Jonah, disobedient, completely. His heart was hard and disobedient. The second he humbled himself to hear what God was saying and obeyed, not only did God overcome his disobedience, but he used his disobedience to have other people, those sailors on that boat, believe in him. And, and that's where, to encourage everybody listening, we're not in a bad spot. We're in a perfect spot mm -hmm. if we will listen and obey. If we will listen and obey, watch how this turns around. Watch what happens. But it's going to take humility it's going to take us dropping our expectations of how we think it's going to look, what we think is going to happen, and say, God, I want you to have glory. Whether that means that you bring Pharaoh's army against me, whether it means that I got to go through an incredible storm, whether it means it's I got to— Yeah, whether it means I got to wait. That, that word wait, I love it, where, where it says strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. That word wait mm. is a really strange word because it, it has its roots from a rope that is pulled tight and strengthened. So hmm. like, I, and I don't know all of it, but I know when a rope is new, it's like, it's all these different strands. And when it's pulled really tight, that's what gives Stretched it- Stretched a little bit. Yes, that's what gives it its strength and ready to go. Wow. And that's where we get the word weight, is that's when we're pulled and things are strengthened inside of us. And that's where it says strength will rise. We're being stretched, we're being pulled, and we see this in the people of God. This is what he does. He's going to let you be stretched, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but he always shows up. Amen, brother. Um, let's come for full circle now in how we started off this podcast today. We've got five minutes left. We will not ever be in a normal or a new normal. This is not a new normal. It's going to be ever-changing circumstances, and life will be ever-testing the church the enemy will be increasing his attacks on Christians. Warfare will increase. And we need to surrender expectations of how it should go. But what you said is you want to evaluate what we think normal should have been. And I think we really touched on that being our we were comfortable, the machine, that was normal. The patterns that we had gotten used to, they became, after a while, ineffective when it comes to Christianity in America. Generally, there's some good churches doing a lot of good work. The remnant is out there preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. People are being ministered to. But when we had the big test this year of political division and COVID-19 and everything else, I'm not sure that we passed the test. So we need to evaluate. We need to learn from that. And Eric, you said, I believe this is all happening for us, not to us. We are being refined closing thoughts on that idea. It is painful, but this can be a very good thing that will give God glory. Absolutely. Well, and I'll, I'll even point back to the book because those of you who have read it know it's all about freedom and getting out from fences that God doesn't want you in. And, and to me, that's what this is, is I encourage everybody Normal should not even be a vocabulary because normal, it implies a system. It implies um, a machine is the word we've been using, <laughs> but it, it implies this formula that you are stuck in, that you have to be within. And I really believe that God is, is doing this not so we can have a new normal, but so that normal isn't even in our vocabulary. The Bible says, don't conform to the patterns. Amen. So, so it's not about finding a better pattern. And I think that's where I'm a little concerned where a lot of 
Christians I'm hearing, well, we just got to find a good pattern again. It's it's not. It's it's. He says, don't be um, conformed to the patterns of this world. So you might be like, oh, we need to be conformed to the patterns of God, but it doesn't say that. It says, be transformed by the renewing, which is a constant, which means we as Christians don't get to just hang in any normal. That's not what we're called to do. Christianity is not normal by any stretch. And so we have to be able to say, I give up what normal was, and I'm not going to let there be a normal again. I'm going to be renewed, and that's a that verbiage is a consistent, ongoing, constant renewing. Every day I'm going to say, God, what do you call me to do today? And yeah, we're all going to have you know, ways that we get ready and we brush our teeth and we do this and that. But when it comes to our faith, we need to get out of this idea of this formula, this system. And it doesn't matter how good the formula is, how well thought out, how prayed over it is. If a formula is preventing you from being renewed daily by the Holy Spirit, it is trapping you. Mm. That's just what it is. Because God is doing a new thing. He is alive and active, and he is not stuck in any formula, and he refuses to be. And if we are stuck in a formula, we are being trapped. And so that's my encouragement is God has destroyed our normal, which hurts, and it's uncomfortable, but it's for us. It's a very good thing. Yes. And so now the challenge is, can we keep ourselves from just building a new normal? And or can we actually say, God, you Destroy get to that you get to day by day lead and guide every day. Remember those words associated with normal uh, in that definition, a dictionary definition: usual, typical, routine. The church should never be usual, typical, routine. No more normal. And uh, thank you, Eric, for coming in today. I think uh, there was a lot of good points that that was shared and. Um, God bless you, man. I appreciate your your thoughts and your insights. Well, and thank you for having me on. And that's what I just want to make sure that people are encouraged because that's I'll say it again. We're in a great spot. Yep. If we will listen and obey, that's the only question. But we are ready to to do something amazing right now. Amen. What do we do from here? Where can people get your book? Uh, it is at Lighthouse Books now in awesome. Green Bay. Yes, they can also get it on Amazon. Um, God. And if they want to know more, my website is just theferalchristian.com. You can get some podcast episodes, link to the book, connect with me, all that stuff. Pastor Eric Jackson, theferalchristian.com. When we come back, we've got a troublemaker tomorrow. A pastor from California will be with us. I'll let you know who it is when we return on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Oh, guys, you're in for a treat. Tomorrow we've got Pastor Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster County, California. He's going to be with us tomorrow, and he's got... His, he writes an article every week. I don't know how he keeps up with everything and pastors a church and puts out these YouTube video teachings, but he's got a bunch of things today. And one of the articles that we're going to talk about actually for tomorrow is called An Open Letter to Silent Pastors, Fight or Fade Away. So we'll talk about what silent pastors, what does he mean by that? Shane Adelman tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you guys for tuning in. God bless you. And as always, Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.